the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hi, everybody. Before we get this show started, I just want to give you a general reminder that you can always hear Josh every Monday at 6 with Bruce Hooley on Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. Josh, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We did. Obviously a lot different than previous years as we quarantine and keep our group small, but it was a nice Thanksgiving nonetheless. So what does is, what is the Pick family have for Thanksgiving dinner? Well, this year we did a little bit different because we, you know, usually you do the turkey and all the fixings, but uh, this year we had a much smaller group, just my immediate family, so we did Cornish game hens. Oh, about yourself? very nice. I was in Miami, actually, so we just actually um, had dinner at uh, the hotel. Everyone was social social distance and all that stuff. Our producer, Mike, though, he has a unique Thanksgiving tradition. I can only imagine. Are we going to introduce you into the on? show here, Mike? I don't know. I think we should. Yeah. So tell us about your Thanksgiving lasagna. Okay. Turkey's boring, and it's dry, and there's a reason why we only eat it once a year. It's because it's not that good. So the family tradition in my family is Thanksgiving lasagna. We just use ground turkey so we can check that box and then essentially morph it into something delicious like lasagna. Good idea. You know, growing up, we had a weird tradition where we had, we had Christmas Chinese food. I don't know. Every why. Christmas? My, every Christmas, my mother wanted to get Asian food. So we got Asian food for Christmas Eve every year. Can't explain the logic behind it, but my sister and I have a really good time making fun of my mother for it. I like it. I like that tradition. That's great. All right, we should talk about people's retirement. Let's get started. What are the best practices for reducing the sting of taxes when withdrawing funds from our hard-earned savings? Well, I think the important part here is that you shouldn't go at it blindly. And by blindly, I mean most people that I encounter will make these decisions on how they're going to reduce or how they're going to draw income out of their portfolios almost arbitrarily. So they'll do things like, uh, well, I have these five accounts. Um, this one's performing better than this one, so I'm going to start with this one first, and then when it's gone, I'm going to move on to the next one, et cetera. And while that may, just by sheer happenstance, work out to be the best bet, it's by no means a plan. And you need to coordinate all the different resources that you have to minimize taxes. Let me give an example. Let's say that you had a you have Social Security and you have a non-qualified account. And by non-qualified, Diane, I just mean money that's not pre-tax. So this isn't 401k money. 
This isn't an IRA. This is just money that you saved into a savings account or maybe at a brokerage account and you were uh, buying some stocks. So you have that account. And then you have your 401k slash IRA. They're handled the same from a tax perspective. You might want to take some money from your non-qualified account and some money from your IRA account. Uh, and obviously, we can't control Social Security. But what that division between the two accounts can do is they're taxed differently. So you might be able to stay underneath a certain tax bracket or, in fact, not have some of your Social Security become taxed by kind of coordinating where you take the income rather than just saying, I'm going to exhaust my IRA first or I'm going to exhaust my non-qualified funds first. And oftentimes what I find is that you can save. Matter of fact, I saw a research study that said, I want to say that Morningstar put this out, that by coordinating in a tax-efficient way appropriately, you can actually increase your income or decrease your taxes, whichever way you want to look at it. Because if I get a decrease in taxation, you could call it an increase in income, right? By about 4%. So you can improve your situation by about 4%. And you go, ah, 4%, that doesn't sound like that much. But in today's world where we have interest rates of one and less, and we have an incredibly volatile market, and you're trying to figure out how can I make this money last, 4% a year is a very, very significant number. So I think the takeaway here is don't do things arbitrarily. Make sure that you create a plan to selectively decide where I'm going to get my income from, which sources and which combination, which secret sauce makes the most sense. And that could potentially increase your income by 4%, which is a giant number. So don't go at it arbitrarily. Make sure you have a plan. Well, and this sounds incredibly overwhelming. What I like about your office is that you work with tax accountants and specialists. Yeah, I think it's important that this seems to be happening across you know, the, the country in relation to everything. But I think you need to be a specialist. And the reason you need to be a specialist is because you're right, Diane. Things are getting incredibly complicated. Um, you know, Social Security, there's a, a myriad of things that can affect your Social Security, both in the way of taxation, how much you receive over time, Medicare. An incredible amount of things to tussle with when you're trying to file for Medicare, get your supplement. Um, how much will I pay for Medicare? The amount that I file on my tax return impacts how much I pay for it. You know, IRAs, minimum required distributions, et cetera. And you need to know all of these things because they all influence one another. They all, they all have an impact. So in my office, what we specialize in is retirement income creating predictable income streams that will account for inflation, longevity, market fluctuations, and make sure you don't run out of money. What we don't do is we certainly aren't good at, we're not the best uh, folks to talk to when it comes to, say, funding for college. You know, what's the, the best lender to get a car loan through? That's just not what we do. But when it comes to how do I create a tax-efficient, predictable income stream for the remainder of my life, that's exactly what we do. To learn strategies to manage risk and to schedule your own personalized planning session, give Josh's office a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, as the madness in the markets and in the world this year increased the importance of reassessing retirement plans and, and, and making sure people rebalance their portfolios? Well, I think, you know, the old adage that if you stay the course in the face of this volatility, it will end up favoring your situation. And that, that's been certainly the truth in 2020. Uh, we've had quite a bumpy road, but ultimately uh, it's proved to be pretty favorable for people who stayed the course. Uh, that said, 
it only works when you can stay the course. So the closer that you get to retirement, the, the shorter your runway gets to I'm going to need this money to live off of, the more importance volatility plays. You just run out of time. So staying the course doesn't work when you get closer to retirement. A, a really crazy stat that I saw recently was um, still about 4 in 10 baby boomers have asset allocations that lean far too heavily on stocks, many times 100% in stocks. So you have 40% of people who are planning, for the most part, retiring right around the corner, that have 100% of their portfolio invested in the stock market. Now, why is that a bad thing? Because you would say, as long as I stay the course and as long as I just kind of ignore the volatility, I'll be better. Well, it's a bad thing because when you enter into, there's three different types of pullbacks in the market, Diane. There's uh, what we call a correction, which means the market just pulled back 10%. We have a recession. That means the market pulled back 20% and held there for six months. And then we have a depression, which, believe it or not, is very, very rare because by definition of depression has to have a, a drastic reduction in GDP. And it's just very, very difficult to hit the depression area. But recessions aren't that uncommon. Look at 2008, 2009 look at 2001, 2002. In both of those instances, it took several years to get back to even. So, and in one instance, it took more than five years to get back to even if you look back at the early 2000s. So why is it important not to have all of your money in stocks and reevaluate your asset allocation? If you're that close to retirement, can you imagine if you're planning on retiring in the year 2001? And here we are in 2000, you have 100% of your money invested in stocks, and the market for the next two and a half years pulls back every single year, and it takes five years to get back to even. Now, there's a couple issues there. Number one, uh, will you have enough money to face that storm? In other words, can I still withdraw income out of it and get back to even? It probably takes you longer uh, to get back to even in that scenario. But number two, do you have this psychological wherewithal to even retire one or weather the storm if you decided to retire. In other words, I retired and here I lost 30, 40% of my money. Now what? Do I, do I stay retired? Do I go back to work? What do I do? Can I handle that scenario? Do you live on a lot less? It's just a terrible scenario to have to encounter. And the decisions almost always, Diane, are illogical, irrational, based on emotion. And you can't fault somebody for making that decision because it seems like their world is crashing in around them. So the, the real important piece here is as we enter into potentially troubling times, we're coming off the longest bull run in history. Uh, we've had an incredible amount of volatility. We're tussling with who's going to be the next president. We have a runoff in Georgia. Um, we have incredibly low interest rates. We could just go on and on in what's facing our economy moving forward. Are we going to get another stimulus package? What's going to happen? There is, you certainly have to recognize that there is the possibility of a correction hopefully not a recession. But if that becomes the case, have you properly insulated yourself from that as it relates to your retirement income? How close to retirement should someone hire a uh, financial advisor? Well, I think the sooner the better, obviously, is the answer. The, the, the quicker that you get appropriate information to act upon, time is your greatest asset. So the, the sooner the better is the answer. But that said, uh, the closer you get to retirement, the more important it becomes as it relates to how, where do I take my income from, from a taxation perspective? How do I make sure my asset allocation is correct? 
how much income can I justifiably live on for the rest of my life? If you're within five years of retirement, 10 years of retirement, you should be having these conversations. If you're closer than that, you're behind the eight ball, but all is not lost. Um, you, you still need to have the conversation. If you've been retired for one year, make sure you have somebody take a look and that you did, in fact, check all the boxes and make sure you had all your ducks in a row and that you're not maybe drawing too much income or maybe allocated a little bit too aggressively. Make sure you take a look at it. It's never too late and it's never too early. But in that five to 10 year window, you should be getting after it. How could people think that they could possibly figure out the taxes and everything themselves? This is so complicated. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, the Internet's a powerful thing. Um, and the Internet uh, is much like the media. It's very polarizing. So you have uh, many pieces of the Internet going. You don't need somebody like, you know, like us. You can find all the information on the Internet. Um, and then you have others, you know, trying to sell against effectively sell against certain areas of the market. So they're polarizing, you know, all the way from the Fisher Investments uh, saying, you know, I'd rather burn in hell than buy an annuity. Well, that doesn't mean all annuities are necessarily bad. Or the annuity company saying, why would you ever want to be in the market uh, when there's so much uncertainty? Well, that doesn't mean being in the market is bad. So you have end up having this polarization. And if Don't you forget, you can hear that, Josh with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays get every Monday evening at 6 on 98.9 The, the Answer. Diane, we'll be back with more so on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint in, Show in a moment. Out how it all coordinates together takes a career, not a half hour every evening. To learn strategies to manage risk and to schedule your own personalized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. You can hear Josh every Monday afternoon at 6 with Bruce Hooley on 98.9 The Answer for Money Mondays. If you miss his visit with Bruce, you can listen to the podcast at aptuswealth.com. We'll be back after the break. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, what impact does another coronavirus surge combined with the government's lack of a second stimulus package have on the economy and subsequently our retirement plans? And we might as well throw in the uncertainty of, of uh, the election, I guess, as well, or the aftermath. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on, there's no doubt. And I, I certainly don't pretend to have all the answers. But I think that we would all agree that stimulus packages are a temporary Band-Aid, and you can't keep them up forever. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, the stimulus package, let's say the $1,200 that people got, the intention of that was to get us through a rough time, keep us spending in the economy, which keeps businesses open, which then employs people, which those people then end up spending money back in the economy. So it keeps everything going. But you can't effectively print 
or borrow future money indefinitely to fund the present. So while I think a stimulus package is important, particularly if we continue to stay shut down, I think that it's inevitable that we will in fact need another one. It is just that. It is borrowing from the future to pay for the current. So although I don't believe, and this is gonna be hard to hear for some and very logical for others, COVID has certainly had an impact on our economy, but I don't believe that we have felt the full brunt of COVID yet, uh, but we will. And there's no way that you can keep the restaurants in your community operating at 30%, 40%, and then potentially shut them down again, not a stimulus to make people go fund them, keep the uncertainty in the market. It just, it's not sustainable in the long run. So I think the real challenge here is not just whether we'll get another stimulus plan but how do we make the next transition to opening and understandably safely i mean we don't want to do it foolishly but uh, i i really want to emphasize that albeit it seems sometimes like the government should step in and quote bail us out of the situation that they created that that is not something that is sustainable forever um, so what is impact is it going to have on the economy? I think we haven't felt the impact yet. I think we're starting to feel uh, the impact. You're seeing, you're seeing sales start to slump. You're seeing bankruptcies from JCPenney to Hertz Rent-A-Car to uh, McDonald's. Of all things, McDonald's shutting down hundreds of locations. I, I thought McDonald's was insulated against absolutely every yeah. economic situation. Right. right? And you have over you know several hundred mcdonald's locations shutting down we're just starting to see that actually take hold if we don't get a stimulus i think that continues and if we don't get a stimulus followed by a logical reopening plan i think and I, i'm not trying to speak negative there's going to be uh, there's going to be opportunities in that economy as well but i think the the worst is yet to come unfortunately i have a friend who uh you know is demanding from her boss that she get assurances that she's not going to be laid off. And I said, I told her, I said, this is so uncertain. They can't be like, you can't even ask your employer that because this pandemic is unusual. It's never, it's unprecedented. And these companies are just trying to stay afloat. So to me, it was kind of odd for her to even ask for that assurance. It's not the company's decision. It's the economy and the coronavirus and everything. Yeah. We have some other things coming up, you know, soon here too. If we make the assumption that, um, and, and I'm very, cautious in how I say this and that I know that the media is saying that Joe Biden is in fact the president-elect. The reality is he's not yet. There's still some things that need to happen. But let's assume that he in fact does win the election. He has made some claims already uh, and ran his campaign on a couple of things that make doing business a little bit more expensive for industries i.e. raising the corporate tax rate, i.e. the Green New Deal. Um, the list kind of goes on there. And while we could argue philosophically that those things make sense, you could theoretically have an economy that's coming off of COVID that has been operating somewhat on stimulus packages. Now, finally, that kind of reaches the end of its rope. And now we're going to go back and these businesses that are trying to keep running, we're going to tax them more. We're going to make restrictions stronger. I think that he's going to have to be very, very delicate in how he handles all of this to make sure that he doesn't negatively, dramatically negatively affect the uh, the economy. So we'll see. But we have a lot, uh, a lot to unfold still.
To learn strategies to manage risk, if you'd like to schedule your own planning session, give Josh's office a call at 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. The SECURE Act was passed just about a year ago at the end of 2019. As we approach the end of 2020, can we take a look back and see how things have gone and, and what, what's next? Yeah, well, it certainly helped. Um, and now the conversation is surrounding around, let's call it uh, the SECURE Act 2.0, right? And, and what that looks like. And while I uh, may be in you know, some of the segments that sounded like I've, I've shared some political opinions, it certainly isn't a political conversation, but the SECURE Act definitely seems to be a political pawn. Um, so it's very important, I believe, that we get some sort of bipartisan compromise if we're going to get this thing done. And hopefully we can get that done before you know, mid-January when we actually find out the changing of the guard. But there are some parts of what's been kind of proposed that seems to be getting pretty uh, universal bipartisan compromise, particularly as it relates to the issue of retirement. Um, one thing, for example, is uh, in the SECURE Act 2, there is a rule that says employees will be automatically enrolled in their retirement plans if one is offered they will have to, in fact, opt out, which I thought was really interesting. Um, the, the retirement piece of this is very much towards two things. One, I don't want to say forcing, but highly encouraging three, via automatic enrollment that people start increasing their participation in their retirement programs. We've talked several times over uh, you know, the weeks, months, years about the fact that companies do not large in part offer pension plans anymore, that the onus of retirement is back on you as the employee to save in a defined contribution plan or 401k as it's called or 403b depending on where you work, 457 if you're a Republican employee as well. So they're trying to figure out ways to increase enrollment because enrollment is certainly down. Um, the other thing is in the SECURE Act number one, the required minimum distribution age used to be 70 and a half. And what that means is you've put your money in your 401ks, IRAs, et cetera. You've kind of kicked the can on taxes by putting pre-tax money in. It's been growing tax deferred. At 70 and a half, you used to have to take out minimum required distributions or a minimum amount from those accounts, effectively starting to pay taxes and sending money back to the government. They kicked the can on that to age 72. So now you can wait till you're 72 to take that. Uh, one of the things that they've very significantly discussed, and it looks like it'll probably pass, is moving that to age 75. And what would that do? Well, people don't save enough for the most part. So many people are going to have to work longer than they thought. So it gives them the option to keep on working and not have to take minimum required distributions and let that deferral continue. Um, another one that I saw was the saver's credit. And what that means is, as it stands today, um, if you're contributing to a 401k, you get the benefit of saving taxes on those contributions. So if you're in the 12% bracket, for example, every dollar you save into your 401k, you only feel 88 cents in your paycheck because the other 12 cents is money you would have otherwise sent to the government in the form of taxes. You're not doing that. You're putting money in pre-tax. Beyond that, for lower income categories, there's discussion of what they're calling kind of generically a saver's credit, which would mean they would get additional tax breaks for making that commitment to save towards retirement. Here's uh, th the last one in the interest of time here. 
uh, on something that's been kicked around that I personally think is a great thing, Diane, and that's a national database for lost retirement accounts. And I know this sounds silly, but we don't stay at the same employer anymore for the rest of our lives, large in part. Um, most people kind of hop from employer to employer to s- improve their situation. Well, in doing that, you might have a 401k that you almost kind of forgot about. And I know that sounds crazy, but your 401k is not managed by your company. Your 401k is managed by the 401k company that your employer utilizes. So there's been many times I've had people come in and say, hey, you know, I know I had a 401k. I used to work for this company. I don't even know if that company's still in business. I think I had 10 grand in it, but that was back in 1988. Well, that thing could have 50, 60, $100,000 in it by now. But I don't even know how to track it down. So one of the things that they're talking about creating, and I hope they do a great job of this, is creating a national database for these plans so you can track down your old funds. And I hope that actually comes to fruition. That sounds like a great idea. Well, we'll see how they implement it, and we'll see what, uh, you know, if there's a cost structure associated with it. But uh, you're always cautiously optimistic when you hear the word new and government program together. <laughs> but Sounds like a good I idea, but if the government has it, anything to do with that, we're not sure it's going to go smoothly. C- correct. But I, I think conceptually, uh, it, it's shocking to me that it hasn't happened sooner. And what happens to that money that if people don't do that? It just, what? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, one, uh, it can just go unclaimed forever. So it just sits there. Uh, Two, certain plan document provisions will say that if you haven't taken any sort of interest in that money, meaning you haven't done anything with it, you haven't, uh, you know, logged onto an account, you haven't done anything, there are actually provisions in some that say you forfeit the money. So uh, the real challenge that I run into, Diane, and I have run into several times is unexpected passings. You know, my father passed away freak thing heart attack we don't know how do we find out what accounts he had we've never we never talked about it i know i know that he currently works for xyz company so i can call them find that 401k i know that he worked with uh you know fidelity or whoever it is and he has an ira over there but he might have other stuff he might have other bank accounts he might have other 401ks from previous companies how do we track that down right now the answer is i don't know good luck start calling around to have a national database makes a tremendous amount of sense. And it's a great idea for families, too, to, you know, have that binder with all the information and all the accounts. Because I know that a lot of couples, one person sometimes takes care of the finances while the other doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah, I think it's – and that's one reason why I highly encourage that both uh, individuals in the family come in for at least one appointment to at least know who I am. And I want to make sure that while I might not manage every asset that you have – I would love to know that they exist. And not only then do you have a binder at home or you have that in case of emergency break glass little you know, box, but that way I can also help on my end. God forbid something happens. I can help walk them through the process on how to make sure they track down all the funds. If you have questions or you would like to see how the Aptis Retirement Blueprint process can work for you, the number to call is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. And just want to remind you that you can hear Josh every Monday at 6 with Bruce Hooley on Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. Also, Aptis offers Retirement Blueprint webinars about every two weeks for people to learn about some of the key concepts of retirement planning. There is no cost or obligation. Again, the number is 614-364-7300.
800-800-0000. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, how is retirement a team sport for families? Well, we've talked about why it's so important that uh, at least husband and wife are on the same page. It's even better. Uh, I have a great appointment, one that I love that's coming in this week. I had a client call me and say that his kids, who are now entering into their you know, early 20s, uh, mid-20s, uh, they would like to learn more about financial planning. Would I be willing to meet with him and his kids? And th- that is one of my favorite meetings. I love speaking at universities. I love speaking to, to younger uh, folks because, again, time is on your side. So that's part of the kind of team sport for families. But I think... You know, one we haven't talked about a lot, and uh, I, I bring this up because I happen to bump into some interesting stats that are overwhelming to me, is is it going to be a team sport for parents and kids? And by parents, I mean retired parents and their working adult children. And here's why. So just stick with me here for a second, Diane. People are obviously living longer. We know that. But here's a crazy stat. Between 2015 and 2050, the proportion of the world's population over the age of 60, so these are people that are 60 years and up, is going to go from 12% to 22%, almost double. So we're going to have a quarter of the world's population that is effectively, let's just kind of broad brushstroke this, retired. Now, on top of that, we have 78% of Americans that say they're extremely concerned about having a comfortable retirement. We have 24% of Americans that believe that getting Social Security is not likely, which we can talk about in more detail. We have 51% of the people that say, probably not. So you have about 75% of the population that says, we're probably not going to get Social Security for the rest of our lives. Then you have about half of Americans who are baby boomers who say they've made no attempt to prepare for the possibility that they might outlive their income. Then you have one last stat. I know there's a lot of numbers, Diane, but one last stat. A third of baby boomers have less than $25,000 total saved to retirement. And I use the phrase baby boomers because they're getting close, right? They're at least yeah. on the 10-yard line, mm-hmm. maybe the 5-yard maybe the line, maybe the 1-yard line for some of them. So you have a third of people who have less than $25,000 saved. Half the people that are in that category going, you know, I have made no attempt to prepare for whether or not I'm going to outlive my money at the withdrawal rates that I'm going to need. And then 70, about 75% of Americans go, Social Security may or may not be around. And then you have that population effectively doubling. So there's an interesting phenomenon that I don't think we've really addressed yet that I think is going to become an issue whether you want it to or not. And that is how do we, as families, address ill-prepared parents? We're not going to let our parents starve to death. And some of them, unfortunately, haven't taken the appropriate measures to reach that goal. So I think we're going to have some situations where we're going to have working children, you know, 40, 50-year-old kids, having to sit down with their parents who maybe have not taken the precautions. And, And remember, a lot of these people have gone through this interesting conversion for you and I and, uh, you know, let's say 30-year-olds, they're not used to pensions. They never had a pension. But this category came from 
Our parents retired on pensions and Social Security, sometimes multiple pensions, didn't have to save a lot of money. Right. And now pensions have effectively gone away. So they've gotten kind of caught in the, you know, kind of the jet wash here of not really being prepared, not even knowing what a 401k is. I mean, you go to any 25-year-old now and say, what's a 401k? Usually pretty familiar because that's the only option they've had available. But I think you're going to have kids having to sit down and talking about lifestyle changes, how do we budget unnecessary expenses? How do we stretch this money longer? Um, you know, is there a way we can supplement your income in some capacity? Um, how, do you have your insurance uh, in a row? Uh, you know, let's, let's be careful for, they also didn't grow up during times of online scams. Uh, today alone, which is, this is ridiculous to me, I have on my cell phone today received eight calls saying that my social security number has been compromised, right? We all get that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very used to that. You're very used to that. 70, 75-year-old person maybe not quite as used to that. So I think we're going to have to turn this into kind of a team effort on the family level on protecting parents, making sure that they're able to actually stay retired, guard against longevity, uh, make sure Social Security remains funded, uh, or we could have a huge problem on our hands. What, how are people who are retired and low income, how are they being looked after? Just by social services? Well, I mean, Social Security is one. Um, Social Security was originally created uh, to do just that, to provide a base level of income. It was never meant to be a retirement plan. It was meant, uh, it was created during the Great Depression as a way to keep people above the poverty line. Um, so Social Security can certainly do that. Um, social programs, Medicare. Another reason Medicare was created is because, obviously, if we were an insurance company and we were saying we want to insure people, the last people we would want to have to insure would be 80 years old with a bunch of health problems. That's just adverse selection. We we push those out. So Medicare was created to help cover that. So there are programs available. But if we reach a scenario where we continue as an economy to print money to bail ourselves out, that could end up creating a situation of inflation in the long run. And now you have this combination of people living really long, not having the appropriate savings, and inflation becoming an issue which inflation for people who have had financial stability in their lives, i.e., we have a fixed uh, mortgage payment on our house that's not going to go up, Uh, you know, our cars are paid off, we don't have a debt position that's significant. Inflation certainly affects those people, but it it reflects mostly discretionary spending. But if you're renting on a fixed income, that fixed income is not climbing by real inflation, but your rent continues to go up and you can't work because you're 75, 80 years old, it can become a problem. We're going to have to get families potentially involved. So uh, I, I think we talk about the team effort as it relates to husband and wife or you know, family with kids, but let's go the other direction. Let's go up the chain and say that we could have some problems there too. Josh's number, if you have questions or you would like to schedule an appointment with Josh, is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. Every Monday at 6 p.m., you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley on Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. If you miss that interview, you can go to Josh's website, listen to the podcast, aptuswealth.com. Josh, when a person leaves a job, what is the best course of action to take when it comes to an employer retirement account, if, if you're lucky enough to have one? There's a bunch of choices, number one. Um, and, and the choice isn't always... We should take that money and roll it into an IRA, but that may make sense. It may make sense to roll it from your current 401k or the employer's 401k that you left into your new 401k. Um, It may make sense to utilize some of that money to purchase a house, et cetera. But 
you need to at least be aware of what some of the benefits and consequences could be to each of those decisions. So for example, the benefits of most 401ks are low cost options. And by low cost options, I mean that if you went directly to this particular institution, let's say your 401k is run by Vanguard, and, uh, or at least your investment options inside of your 401k are Vanguard, you probably have a pricing structure at Vanguard that you may not be able to achieve on your own because Vanguard views your entire 401k of you know, $100 million of the entire company and gives it pricing accordingly versus viewing your $10,000, $100,000 account and pricing it accordingly. So you have options available inside of a 401k. Potentially, this isn't always the case, but it could potentially be a benefit that you have very low cost options. On top of that, you may have other options that you would have difficulty uh, acquiring somewhere else. Like maybe you have some sort of subsidized uh, stable value or money market fund that's paying a higher guaranteed interest rate that some other that you could get uh, out in the open marketplace. Not always the case again, Diane, but at least you need to look into it and make sure that you're not leaving a situation that benefits you. For example, there's a 401k company in town uh, or a, a big employer here in town that has a guaranteed option in their 401k account that's 3%. Well, you can effectively have, there's no tie up for that. It's just a 3% guaranteed account. And that was just for certain people that worked there during certain times, of course. But nevertheless, why would you want to move away from something that, I mean, where can you get a money market account or a, a checking account that's got a 3% guaranteed rate on it backed by an insurance company? Nowhere. So it might have an, op you might be of significant benefit to stay there. So pricing rates options, those are the benefits. A consequence of not moving it to a new 401k, not moving it to an IRA, but just taking the money. While it may seem appealing, hey, I have this money out here, it's been kind of a rough year, why don't I take this, go on a vacation? Well, the reason there would be taxes and potentially penalties. If you're under the age of 55 or 59 and a half, depending upon where the money is located, you could end up paying a 10% penalty for doing it, plus on top of that income taxes. So tread lightly and don't just pull the ripcord. Know that you have 60 days to reinvest it if you've made that mistakes. So I told them to send me my money. They sent me a check. I'm listening to the show today. I did this three weeks ago. I just realized it was a terrible decision. You can turn around and roll that back into an IRA or your new company's 401k and kind of restart the clock and get yourself out of jail free there. Um, legal protection. That's another big one. Uh, retirement plans have legal protection in the state of Ohio. Um, you know, make sure you, I'm not an attorney, make sure you contact your attorney if you're in some sort of lawsuit or bankruptcy proceeding, but know that there is a level of legal protection to retirement plans. So pulling it out of the retirement plan, depending upon where you are in your financial status, could be a really damaging thing to do. And then lastly, Diane, one that comes up is I'm going to roll it to a IRA because then I can invest in whatever I want. So one of the benefits to going to an IRA as opposed to leaving your 401k is your 401k has a finite number of options. While they might be great low cost options, there is a finite number. And that finite number could be as little as four or five options. Or, you know, on the high side, you won't really see 401ks with more than 30 or 40 options. When you go to an IRA, the world is your oyster. You can invest in whatever you want. That can be a pro and a con. In my world, it's a huge pro. Uh, if you're uneducated and you just are kind of shooting from the hip, it could be a really significantly big con. So tread lightly there. But um, the answer isn't as crystal clear as people probably want it to be. What should I do? 
it depends on your situation, and there are pros and cons to both. And they can call you, and you can look at it and let them know, keep it with your former employer or roll it over. We have these conversations daily. Obviously, I have a lot of clients, and those clients are are uh, particularly in today's environment, moving quite often from employer to employer, and we're left with this situation, this conversation all the time. If anyone has questions, if you'd like to see how the Aptis Blueprint process can work for you, the number to call is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. And if you haven't heard Josh, you can hear him every Monday at 6 with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. Also, Josh, want to let everyone know about the free webinars that you offer about every two weeks for people who want to learn some of the key concepts of retirement planning. There's no cost or obligation for that. Just give Josh's office a call. Again, 614-364-7300. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick next. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptis Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptis Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptis Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. We often talk about the future of Social Security, Josh, as we did earlier in this show, even more so since the election now. What are the biggest misconceptions people seem to have about Social Security? Well, I think the biggest one is I'll just figure it out myself. Uh, I hear that uh, all the time. I'll have people come in, and there's there's a bunch of factors you got to take into consideration when you decide when you should collect your Social Security. But oftentimes we hear things from other people, and we think that they apply to us. Let me give you an example. Uh, I work with this person, and they said they collected it at 65 because if they waited uh, till then, it would be this, and they do all this kind of rough uh, armchair quarterback math, and they go, that's clearly what I'm going to do. It's an individualized decision. It can make a monumental difference in your life, and sometimes it makes sense to collect at 62, and sometimes it makes sense to collect at 70. It's individualized to you, but it can make a significant enough difference that you should at least do the math. On top of that, and I know this has been a very stat-heavy day for us, Diane, but I've seen a lot of stats recently. I don't know if it's like, you know, they they release them uh, this week in November, but uh, a lot of stats have come out. And 41% of people, according to a very reputable survey, said that they have actually figured out how much they're going to need for retirement. So think about that. You have roughly 60% of the population who hasn't even done the math on how much they're going to need to retire on, you know, what income they're going to need in retirement. How in the world, if you have no idea how much you need to retire on, are you going to determine when the best time is for you to take Social Security? And so are you have those, to figure out a couple things first. And are those 41%, do they even know what they're doing? <laughs> yeah, maybe, but let's assume that they do. They've at least done the math on a budget. You need to do that first before you even determine how, how and when you should take your Social Security. But you asked me very specifically, what are some of the biggest misconceptions and myths? Um, one that I hear a lot 
is you have to start claiming your social security at a certain age and it, it's an arbitrary age um, for example social security office usually says you have a full retirement age of between 66 and 67 so i'll hear oftentimes it depends on when you were born is when that age changes but it says on your social security report your full retirement age is x and your benefit will be this at your full retirement age well if you just kind of hear those words my full retirement age people oftentimes assume that they have to wait until that age to get their quote unquote full retirement nobody wants to get less than full right diane they want to get their full retirement when in reality all that is is a completely arbitrary number that provides you with a number that's been calculated and that number for all intents and purposes you get about 75 percent of that number if you collect at 62 and you get about 132 percent of that number if you collect at 70 you know thereabouts depending on when your full retirement age is so you don't have to take it at 66 or 67. You don't have to take it at 62. You don't have to take it at 70. You take it anywhere in the middle. It's what makes the most sense for you. So that's, that's a very big myth, uh, number one. Social Security is going away. I have that conversation all the time, uh, particularly with younger folks. Wouldn't we be safer if we just acted like it was and that would force people to save? And then if they do get it, it's like bonus? Yes, other than uh, for many people, if you eliminate 100% of Social Security, retirement can look out of reach. Um, and you certainly don't want to be discouraging. I know today we've talked about several com uh, conversations that have been not so promising and positive, and it, that has to be, you know, there's two sides to the coin. But I'd never want to have conversations to make any sort of retirement look out of reach. So let's talk about the goods and how to achieve that situation. Let's play cautious. We don't want to be foolish, but let's not assume that it's going to completely go away. And, and here's why that's not going to happen. So it isn't foolish for me to assume that it's not going to go away. You hear oftentimes about Social Security running out of money. There's two ways that Social Security is funded. Way number one, people who are working pay part of their wages into the Social Security Retirement Fund, if you want to call it that. And the money that they put in essentially is then going back out to the people who are collecting. It's the first Ponzi scheme of all time, right? Kidding, by the way. But that is <laughs> kind of how Ponzi schemes work. Uh, so... We, we send money in, it goes back out. That accounts for about three quarters, a little bit more than that, but about three quarters of what people collect. That shortfall, that it's about 22%. So that shortfall of about 22% that we don't have to meet the obligations of the people who are collecting, the numbers that we said, hey, we're gonna send you a thousand bucks a month. We are short by $220 a month on that thousand dollars a month off the people paying in. That is supplemented by a big account fund that has had an overage for a really long period of time. So in other words, we're currently at a 22% shortfall. We were at a surplus back in the day. So now people are living longer, baby boomers are coming up, less people are paying in for the amount of people that are collecting. So now we're operating at a shortfall. That shortfall is being covered by that account that was created by a surplus. That account is going to run out somewhere around 2030, 2032, depending on which stat you look at. So that is in fact going to run out of money unless we change something make adjustments to social security somewhere in the 2030s we were either going to have to reduce people's benefits by a percentage or change the game somewhere between now and then so it's not even if social security quote unquote goes away it's not going to go away there's still going to be income being spit out it's to what level and at what age will that income start last myth that we'll cover for today and this one I get a lot. I'm self-employed, so I won't even get Social Security. 
Just because you're self-employed doesn't mean you're not going to get Social Security. You're certainly going to get Social Security if you paid into Social Security. It doesn't mean if you're self-employed or not self-employed, et cetera. Now, if you're playing some sort of shenanigans or you were an S-corp and you said you had no salary, everything was distributions, well, then in turn, you have not been paying into Social Security, so you're right. You don't get any Social Security unless you pay into it. But just because you are self-employed does not preclude you from getting Social Security in any way. So know that going in. If you've been paying in, I don't care what your job was. I don't care what the structure of it was. If you've been paying in, you were entitled to a benefit of some kind. I think that's probably enough myths for today, unless we uh, what do you, Well, I, wanna, I want to retire and live abroad. You, potentially you and me both. That's a, that's a good question. So do you still get Social Security if you live abroad? That's yeah. a good myth. You do, depending. There's some caveats to that. Well, let's say you want to move to, you know, uh, Italy, Cabo, you want to move to Italy, you want to move to Cabo, you want to move to Canada, you'll still absolutely get Social Security. Now, if for some crazy reason you want to move to North Korea, uh, our Treasury doesn't have a very strong uh, relationship with North Korea, and they will not allow people who live there to receive Social Security. So there are some caveats to that, but for the still, most part, you can Don't go to a communist live. country. That's the, that's you know, the ticket? <laughs> Stay away from maybe the Ivory Coast and the and the, the, the war-torn communist countries. But if you want to go to, like, Europe or anywhere like that, you're in good shape. All right. To learn strategies to manage risk and to schedule your own planning session with Josh, or you just have some questions about the show, give Josh's office a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. That is also the number to call if you would like to take part in one of the many free webinars that Josh offers about every two weeks for people to learn about some of the key concepts of retirement planning. Also, you can hear Josh every Monday at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. If you miss it, you can listen to the podcast at aptuswealth.com. Josh, should retirees invest in stocks or keep their money away from the volatility of the markets right now? Well, I think you need both. And, and, and here's why. You know, the old adage, let's say you're retiring back in the 80s, and you had maybe you had stocks along the way, and now you're reaching that time of retirement. Very easy, uh, predictable way to create retirement income that you're not going to outlive is you go and buy an annuity that provides income for the rest of your life. It's backed by an insurance company. It is, in fact, a private pension, so it's no different than retiring from Ohio State and receiving that nice PRS pension. But those payout rates that you would receive for the rest of your life were based upon interest rates at the time. Well, beautiful time to do it if you're thinking about the 80s. You know, interest rates were in the teens, high teens in many cases. So your your payout amount was very, very attractive. Um, Even if you rewind back to the 90s, it wasn't uncommon to be able to get a guaranteed annuity payment based upon 6 7% interest rates, which when you think about the average of the stock market being around that 7-8 range, 7% guaranteed sounds awful darn good. I'll take it. Well, now... Here we are, lowest interest rates in the history of the economy. Um, It seems like they can never go lower until they, in fact, go lower. We're at 30-year mortgage rates of less than 3% in many cases. Um, Now is not the time to pull the ripcord on all risk from your portfolio and go 100% risk-free. And the reason for that is all of the things that we've been talking about today, longevity. We have a lot of longevity in our lives these days. We have potential inflation that can erode our income over time. We need to accommodate that for that in some form or fashion. Well, if inflation is running at 25 maybe even 3%, and you're only earning 1.5%, clearly that's a losing battle. You're not going to win that game for very long. 
So there's no question that you have to have some of your money, unfortunately, invested in things that are volatile. You certainly don't want all of your money invested in the stock market. And the secret is in the allocation, you know, kind of the secret sauce of creating that three-legged stool that we talk about so often and make sure you have multiple income streams. That said, there are many things that go into that equation when it comes to investing in a volatile stock market. Now, our contention at our office is make sure that you invest in a rules-based approach that provides predictable outcomes over different metrics of time. So you at least know what to expect. But just blindly investing in the stock market can be terrifying. And many people will tell me when they come into my office that I've been playing, you know, the conversation will go like this. I've been playing this game in the market for a really long time. What goes up must come down and vice versa. I understand that. Um, I just put my blinders on. I ignore it. No, it's the best place for me to be. That works when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe even into your 50s. But when you're 65, 70 years old and you're reliant upon this money to last you the rest of your life, any retiree will tell you that while it's the happiest day they've had probably when they retire, it's also the most terrifying because they realize that they're walking away from their earning power. And all they have remaining are these assets to generate the earnings for them to last the rest of their life. When that occurs, not understanding what is a reasonable expectation over the coming months, coming years, and then having a pullback of 20-30% can be psychologically crushing. And oftentimes what happens, and I say this all the time, the only thing worse than pulling all of your money out of the stock market and putting it in cash is taking your money that's in cash, putting it in the stock market, waiting until it loses 30%, and then putting it back in cash because you have 30% less, of course. So while investing in the stock market, I believe is going to be somewhat necessary, inevitably necessary for everybody over the coming 10, 15, 20 years, you have to approach it logically, or you could reach a point where you just psychologically can't handle the swing because you don't have a plan in place to accommodate for that volatility. And then you pull out at the worst time, and that's even worse than not doing it at all. So uh, to answer your question, Diane, I think you need to have some but you have to approach it, approach it in a pragmatic, logical manner. If you have questions, if you would like to see how the Aptis Blueprint process can work for you, the number to call is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. And just want to ri- remind you again, you can hear Josh every Monday at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. I'm Diane Brennan on behalf of Josh Pick. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.